When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Fourth and Manageable, an SEC football podcast brought to you by 2400 Sports. Now, here's Brad Edwards. All right, well, welcome into Fourth and Manageable with Ashley Holder and Brad Edwards, the amazing Brad Edwards. I have to like put some extra oomph to your name because it's not just Brad Edwards. You know, you're you're I, you're. I, I got to get my wife to talk about me that way, Ashley. Oh, the, the listen, amazing I know that Brad she Edwards. talks about you like that. Stop. Don't, <laughs> don't give me that much uh, that much credit. But listen, we have a non-sexy slate of games going on this weekend, but we do have some fun conference games in the SEC. Obviously, we've got Georgia and South Carolina as well as Mississippi State and LSU. This is our first segment. Let's break it down. Georgia and South Carolina, the number one team going up against the team that's just trying to rebuild this program. Can Georgia really get through another game without allowing a touchdown? That's where we're going to start right now. Yeah, it's been an impressive start. When you consider how much they lost off last year's defense, we knew they'd still be good on that side of the ball because the talent is so good but to have not really dropped off at all. I mean, they they haven't a lot of touchdown, as you mentioned, through the first two games. South Carolina is going to test that because South Carolina, you know, is capable of making big plays in the passing game. At, you know, at any point, you know, one slip up by the Georgia defense, one missed assignment, you know, could end up being a touchdown. But uh, it's also a South Carolina offense has been very inconsistent. And, and so I, I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia is able to do that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, every game we're going to kind of learn a little bit more about Georgia just because it is hard to believe that they could have lost as much as they did. I mean, on on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense and and still be as good as they've looked through these first two games. So uh, they are completely deserving of being the number one team right now. I'm not sure why the coaches don't see that. The the AP voters saw that and appropriately moved them to number one this week. Uh, but but yeah, um, that that's I guess is the, the first order of business. Can Georgia's defense keep South Carolina out of the end zone? Yeah, and I mean, I wrote a couple of notes down that I was reading about the game earlier, and I I was really impressed with you know the first couple games, obviously with quarterback Stetson Bennett. He has no interceptions, and he's completing seventy five point four percent of his passes. Who passes more than him? Take a guess. Can you? In the SEC. Yeah. Uh, Will Rogers of Mississippi State. Oh, I tell you, I'm telling you, that is why I put amazing <laughs> in front of Brad Edwards because that's how good you are. But yeah, so I mean, what do you expect out of this guy coming up against this South Carolina team, which we will get into? That is, this is their first game on the road. 
Yeah, and, and look, the thing for Stetson Bennett is he's finally at a point in his career where you know every game is not a referendum on whether he should be the starting quarterback. He, he has earned that right. And truth be told, I, I think by halfway through last season, Kirby Smart, whose vote is the only one that counts, was convinced that Stetson Bennett was the starting quarterback at Georgia. But for a lot of the fan base, every time he'd have a so-so game or, or even a so-so quarter, everyone started thinking, oh, maybe maybe the backup, who was JT Daniels last year, you know, should be the guy that we see out there. At this point, it, it's his team. It's his offense. And the, the way he's playing, I mean, how can you not be confident in, in his ability to – not just make the plays that need to be made when they need to be made. I mean, he, he did that in the fourth quarter with the, the whole season on the line in the national championship game, uh, but also to make the right decisions, uh, to, to not force balls, um, you know, to, to be safe with it. And look, as good as their offense is, when your defense is playing as well as George's is, you know, every now and then, you know, discretion is the better part of valor. Like just, just punt, you know, there's nothing wrong with a punt when you have a defense like George's and, and he understands that now at this stage of his career and he's, he's not forcing things and, and that makes them even that much more dangerous of a team. And that's what the South Carolina defense has to do, right? Get straight to the quarterback, disrupt the quarterback, find a way to get Georgia off of the field, not leave them on there all day. Yeah, look, Tyler Bray and I were talking about this after the the first game of the season for Georgia against Oregon, which is as, as strange as it sounds, given what Georgia's been for the last 15 years. If you're a defense going up against them, you want to force them to run the ball. <laughs> I mean, we know about all the, the running backs that they've cranked out and and they've still got good ones there. But I'd rather take my chances with their running game. And so far, look, if there's anything that you could nitpick about Georgia's team on either side of the ball, they haven't really established the run as well as as you would like them to. And so I think for Georgia, that's probably a point of emphasis in this game. But on the other hand, I don't think it's essential if they keep throwing the ball. Uh, and, and look, th there's a lot of short passing. You know, th there's a lot of that controlled passing game, which in a lot of ways serves as a running game uh, in a roundabout way. And, and as long as they're doing that as efficiently as they have, they don't have to be able to run the ball but every coach wants to be able to run it, you know, and, and especially in short yardage situations where you got to pick up a yard or two. And, and so I, I think that's something that George is definitely going to be looking at uh, as yeah. something they can improve upon in this game. Yeah. You want to be able to hit on all cylinders, obviously. And right now their total offense is 525 yards per game compared to South Carolina's, which is 361. A lot of that is through the air for Georgia, yep. but for Georgia, who is having their first game on the road, you know, it's never easy to play on the road, right? Yes, you're playing the number one team in the nation right now, but 75,000 fans roughly is what they carry it, uh, at at that stadium in Columbia, South Carolina. For Clemson, they said it was 77,000 ended up fitting in that stadium the last time they played there. And I'm thinking, well, how does that work where you add <laughs> two to 3,000 more people in a stadium that only holds that? But anyways, I mean, they're going to be facing a loud, loud, loud stadium. Of course, everybody practices with the loud noise, the fake noise, things like that. But do you think any of that possibly could disrupt Georgia and their flow? You know, given all that they've been through in the last few years, the rise of this program and becoming, you know, one of the programs in college football, they go out every week with a, with a target on their back. They've been in some really hostile environments over the last couple of years. I don't think they're going to be phased by that. But at the same time, 
we, we still are talking about, you know, 18 to 23 year olds and they're going to be affected by a rowdy crowd more than, you know, professional players would be. And so if you're Georgia, one of the things you want to do is just, like you say, click on all cylinders and do it right out of the gate. Don't give this team and this crowd any reason to believe um, because the longer they stay in the game, it's not so much that they affect Georgia as much as they affect South Carolina, right? You know, they give the home team confidence and they get them excited. And I, I think I think that's where the crowd really could be a factor in this game because th- this is a, a program that that feels like it made some good strides last year in year one with, with Shane Beamer. And and they're they're looking for something else to get excited about. They they hung in really for three quarters last week at Arkansas, didn't get the result that they wanted. Um, and, and this is look, I, I hate to say you could have a moral victory in the SEC, but given where these two programs are right now, if South Carolina can just be competitive for four quarters, this would feel like a win for them. And, and so I, I think they're they're going into this with nothing to lose, obviously. And and it, the longer that they can hang around, make some plays, the more that crowd is going to be a factor. So I think for Georgia, it's not so much about being affected by the crowd as much as don't let the crowd really pump up the home team. Well, it seems for Georgia right now, the only people that can beat them is themselves. So exactly to the point that you're making right now, Georgia and South Carolina playing at noon tomorrow. So people are probably happy that that's an early game. On the other side, we've got Mississippi State, who's 2-0, and taking on LSU, who's 1-1. and That game's at 6 p.m. on Saturday. Um, this one is a toss-up. This is what you were saying on the last episode. You know, it could go either way right now. So for you, I know we've been talking a lot about, you know, how good is Mississippi State's defense? Yeah, and that, that to me is a big question, not only for this game, but for this season. Um, because they, they've looked good. They've looked solid through two games that I, I think were both against teams that, that are going to be decent to good offensively this year, Memphis and Arizona. Um, and th- that's the fun thing about college football, though. Week two, you, you think you know what teams are, but sometimes, you know, as the season plays out, you realize that someone wasn't as good as you thought they were when the season started, or, or maybe they end up being a lot better than you thought. So we don't really know for sure, but but I've been impressed with what they've done on that side of the ball to this point. And if you go back like what, almost three years, whenever it was that Mike Leach took the Mississippi State job, one of the things that I felt is like, okay, he, he's going to get guys in there who are going to do what he wants to do offensively. But the one opportunity that Mike Leach has at Mississippi State that he never had at his previous head coaching stops, Texas Tech and Washington State, is that in the SEC, at that program, he has the chance to recruit players on the defensive side of the ball with more talent than he's ever had on his teams before. And and I I think he has that now. Now, Mississippi State has had some really good defenses uh, a few seasons in the last 10 or so years. And uh, is this going to be one of them? I don't know. But but it it is kind of scary to think that what, I mean, what would a Mike Leach team look like if they had a not just decent, but good defense to go with that offense? And so that's why I think it, it's not just a key for, for Saturday. It's a key for the whole season and, and really for the whole Mike Leach era as far as what they're capable of, of accomplishing is how good can they be on defense? Because that's that's something he's never really had 
since uh, maybe since he was offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, <laughs> the last time that he really had a defense that he could count on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about him being successful on the defensive side. Offensively, they're pretty run heavy. You look at uh, Johnson and Marks, 45 rushes and 19 receptions for for them both. How does that play into making sure that you're clicking on both sides of the ball where you're making sure you're running the ball, your offensive line is working, and obviously the defense doing their part to get them back on the field? Yeah, you mentioned those running backs, Johnson and Marks, and 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 you you talked about the the ball distribution and how you know they're they're carrying it uh you know 45 times through two games as opposed to to catching it 19 times through two games. Now, for most teams in college football, you'd look at 19 receptions by the running backs through two games and you'd say that that's a lot. And, and it is. I, I bet it ranks pretty high nationally. But for Mike Leach his offense and and the way he defines balance, and I'll get into that in just a second, um, the 45 rushes through two games for his top two running backs is just mind-blowing. Like, like I, I don't know what's gotten into Mike Leach, but he's he's been trying to establish the run here in the first two games. I'm not sure if that'll carry over here into conference play because the way that Mike Leach looks at it is, is that balance is not – close to a 50-50 run-pass split. The way he looks at it is, and, and, and I happen to agree with him. Uh, I've had a number of conversations uh, with, about this with him over the years, is that balance, as far as it affects a defense, is, is making them defend every area of the field. So he really doesn't care, obviously, if you've watched his teams play, how often he runs the ball. What he cares about is that the running backs are capable or are a threat to get the ball any, any part of the field. So whether it's just by handoff, you know, in the backfield or whether it's a swing pass or a screen, you know, to the outside or getting the running backs downfield. And then on top of that, all of his other eligible receivers, you know, that, that you, you run routes where these guys, you have to worry about them catching passes, both short, intermediate and long. And so every player on that field who's eligible to catch the ball could get it at just about any place on the field. And, that's what he looks for. And so, yeah, it is, it is kind of curious to me that he's as, you know, balanced. I mean, it, it, you know, for, for Mike Leach, that's a, uh, that's a pretty heavy uh, run lean right there through two games. So we'll, we'll see if he, uh, if, if that's like a trend for this season or whether that's just the way it's played in the first two. So for you, who comes out on top, Mississippi goes to three, and zero, or does LSU move to two and one for now? Uh, I'm I'm just more confident in Mississippi State than I am in LSU, and not not by a lot. Okay, it's just you know sometimes in week one you see things that it just takes a few weeks to change your mind, and LSU looked so bad in that first game, and I realized they still almost won it, or at least almost got to overtime. It, it's just hard for me to after one impressive performance against an overmatched team from Southern that you would say, Oh, I'm a, I'm, I'm a believer in LSU. Now I think they've solved their problems. No, no. I mean, it's going to take more than that. And so uh, what I've seen from both teams through two games, I just have more confidence in Mississippi state. Um, but like I, like I told you on Tuesday, this is, this is a toss up game. And, 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 and obviously LSU at night in tiger stadium, it's tough to pick against them, but um, Mississippi state has done this before we've, We've seen them win in this situation, mm-hmm. that 2014 game 
with Dak Prescott and company is one that comes to mm -hmm. mind. And uh, Mississippi State won that one and went on to have a great season. So maybe history repeats itself a couple years later. We'll what about prediction um, numbers? I mean, what do you see this? What do you see this? Uh, 21 nothing. We see it. No, I, I, I see this as a higher scoring game. And I know I just said that I, I, I have – confidence in the Mississippi State defense, or at least I think they've been playing solidly so far. I think there's probably a better way to say it. Not that I'm sold, but I'm, I'm encouraged by what I've seen from them. I think this game is probably in the 30s. Um, LSU is a good offensive team. And, and it, you know, if, if they can just make strides in that passing game and, you know, the, the quarterback and receivers be on the same page a lot better than they were against Florida state. And they should be week three compared to week one. I, I think they're going to be able to score some points. I think Mississippi state's going to score some. So I, I look at this as a 35, 31 type of game. If, if, if you're asking me for a score prediction. So what I, I have no idea what Vegas is saying and whether that's close to what the, uh, <laughs> the, the predicted number would be, uh, but that's yeah. kind of the way I see this game playing out. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, that that game, again, taking place uh, at 6 p.m., so that's one more of a, a late-night game. And that should be a fun one, especially if it's a close score, as you said, um, by three points. But let's move to the non-conference games. This one, I think a lot of people are excited with this one, Miami and Texas A&M. Um, Miami on the road. This one's got a lot of... Ooh, I'm looking at my notes. It's, it's, this one's loaded, right? You look at Texas A&M, who's hurting as a program right now. Awful start. Miami, who's trying to make a com comeback. Crystal Ball in his first year. Um, <sighs> we don't even know who's starting at quarterback. I mean, for Texas A&M, I mean, they've they've been running a couple different people at the ones in that, in that case. So not sure who we'll even see out there. We know Van Dyke is leading Miami right now, but – can they get in a rhythm? I mean, I'm not even sure where to start, but I feel like maybe we should start at like, where does Texas A&M need to start at first just to have an opportunity to win this game? This is a huge game. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch, too much of an overstatement to say, even though this is week three, their season is kind of hanging in the balance here. I realize they were not favored to reach the playoff. There were, a few people who who picked them to reach the playoff, and and I'm not sure how they figured that, but some people were. They're preseason number six, so I mean to, to go from preseason six to the top four at the end, it's it's not a huge leap. So that's kind of the range the expectations were in. Certainly, you know, you were you're thinking this is a team that's capable of going ten and two, 
And and now that they're sitting there at one and one uh, with a, a ranked non-conference opponent coming in, you know, fresh off the the home loss to Appalachian State, this this is where you see what Texas A and M is. This is where you see what they what they have because there is absolutely no reason for them not to bring their A effort. And I'll say A effort instead of A game, because if, if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Uh, but at the very least, I, I think they're going to be focused and they're going to come out uh, and they're, they're going to, you know, play with intensity, probably more intensity than we've seen in either of their first two games, because they know what's on the line here. You know, you lose a second time, playoff hopes are gone. And even though you wouldn't have lost a conference game yet, and sure, all that stuff is still, you know, mathematically in front of you. I mean, we talked on Tuesday about their upcoming schedule and how brutal it is to start conference play. I mean, if if you don't win this game, then that's when you're going to start to have a lot of doubt set in. Um, There's going to be a lot of grumbling probably, which, which just almost always happens whenever a team is, 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 in early in the season, clearly not going to to reach their expectations. So I, I think it's a big game for AM uh for that reason alone. Uh is, is just that they need to get a win and gain some sort of confidence before they go into league play. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at, at both of them in its own right. It can be a tough game and a big game for both of them. Obviously, yes, more on the line for Texas A&M. You look at Miami, who's going on the road for the very first time. You want to make sure Van Dyke and his offense gets in that rhythm quick, right? Like the receivers are making sure they're catching those balls. They're not having any 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 drop ones there. But the biggest part on you look at A&M, their defense is like you got to disrupt the quarterback, like I was saying, in the for the prior game with Mississippi State and LSU. Um against app state they just left them on the field they were on the field the entire yeah. time that's that's the issue you can't do that with miami no you you can't and i, I think that would be your complaint with the AM defense last week it's not that they allowed a ton of yardage it's that they had plenty of opportunities third and fourth downs to get off the field and they didn't do it and some of those were longer yardage situations that they gave up and they you you, you can't do that against miami now one thing that helps them a little bit is that, you know, we just found out today that Miami's leading receiver is going to be out for this game. He's probably going to miss a couple of weeks. And so, uh, you know, that that's going to affect a young quarterback, not having the guy who'd been his primary target uh, for the first couple of games. And, you know, I, I think this is another one of those. We mentioned with South Carolina, like the, the crowd getting behind them. I can promise you A&M's fans have not given up on this team. And they're also going to bring their A game as far as the intensity. And so they're going to be behind this team. And like I said, it's really just a question of are they good enough? Uh, is is your best effort good enough to win at this level? Because the, the level that Miami is, is the same level that most of the teams on the conference schedule are. And, and you know, Alabama is probably, despite what we saw at Texas last weekend, I think Alabama is at a higher level than than the rest of them but but what you're going to see talent wise from Miami is pretty much what you're going to see for the majority of the next two months so if you can't handle this team and you can't handle them on your home field it's going to be a long season but I do think A&M's defense is good I think we'll see a better effort out of them but that's going to be the key is when when that down marker says three or four they've got to get stops and, and get their offense back on the field because the offense needs all the opportunities it can get. It's, it's not the most efficient group in the country. Yeah. So with their backs on the line, and as you said, Miami missing their lead receiver, can Texas A&M get this done at home, which is the best place they can be with their backs on the line? 
Yeah, and, and I look, I, I don't know who the starting quarterback the I don't know where I'm saying backs against the line. <laughs> well, Maybe I make my own stuff up. It's a vertical well. line. That's what a wall is. is <laughs> yeah, a it's a vertical line. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned the quarterback situation, and um, I, I still would be surprised if Haynes King isn't the guy. Um, but he might have a short leash at this point because when you look at, at some of the the metrics out there, and, and uh, I, I like to look at a lot of – advanced stats and, and analytics. And, and one of the things I was looking at was total QBR, which is an ESPN metric that it measures everything that a quarterback does. It, it's not just the passing, but also uh, the rushing, the impact of the negative plays like sacks and turnovers and, and things of that nature. Haynes King has the lowest total QBR in the SEC through two weeks, which, which you know, to some people might not be all that surprising. But there's, there's another stat out there that's called expected points added, and I'm not going to get into exactly what it's doing. Um, but just generally speaking, what it's doing is, is measuring the impact that the quarterback is having on the scoreboard, the net result of all the, the quarterback's plays, the good ones, the bad ones, and, and, and how that impacts the team's overall scoring margin. And Haynes King is pretty close to zero. Okay, it's not a negative but it's not much of a positive, which basically means your quarterback isn't really doing anything. Um, the net result of all of his performance to help right. you win the game. And so basically he's, he's neutral, which means you need the defense and the running game to be winning for you. If the quarterback's not doing anything to help you win. And, and right now the A&M running game is dreadful. Um, Devon a chain who, who's, who was, who is an explosive back and and was really good in yards per rush last year. This year is under four yards per carry. And, and really their whole team um, is, is under four yards per carry. And so you got to help the quarterback out. The offensive line's got to open up some holes. You, you know, the running back is good enough, but, but you got to give him room to run. And so far through two games, they haven't been able to do that. And so I think that's another key here is that, is that you've got to be able to establish the run. And if you can't, I, I don't think AM has a quarterback who's going to be able to overcome that. Yeah, I think for them, they they definitely have the biggest uh, task ahead of them. That's for sure. I don't know. I think I'm I'm feeling a little bit, you know, the you on this one. Uh, I like them on the road for for this game. This is a nine o'clock <laughs> kick. That's yeah, that's a, a little bit one. of a late game. Yeah, that's that's pretty late. I don't know. That's past my bedtime. I may not make that one, but. Uh, <laughs> Another non-conference game that we've got on the schedule is uh, Penn State at Auburn. Now, this is going to be the first time that a Big Ten team has ever played at Jordan-Hare. Hard to believe. Isn't that you know. crazy? Yeah. You yeah. would think that would have happened already, right? We're yeah, I mean, we know, they, you know, we know the SEC and the Big Ten don't play a lot of non-conference yeah. games, at least in, in, in September and in the early part of the season. They play in the bowls a lot. But mm -hmm. still, to have never had a team from the Big Ten go into that stadium, that, that's crazy. Well, you know, the SEC and Big Ten, they're like, what, big brother, little brother. They just don't like each other. You know, maybe that maybe that's what the issue is. But we're about to see whether Auburn is pretty good at this point. You know, same with their quarterback, TJ Finley. He's been pretty average so far, Brad. Yeah, that, that's the way I see it, um, is that he hasn't done anything special. Um, he hasn't been awful. But, you know, look at who they've played. I think Mercer and San Jose State. So, I mean, you would expect him to have, have – been a little bit better than he has been. And I, I think, you know, one of the questions in this game 
Um, because look, anybody who who follows the SEC and knows what happened at the end of last year is is very well aware that Brian Harson, the Auburn head coach, is coaching for his job this year. I mean, he he was almost ousted at the end of last season, and there are a whole lot of people in power there who don't want him there. The athletic director has resigned, uh, the guy who hired him. So, I mean, he's going to have to have a really good season in order to still be the head coach there next year. And knowing that, you would think that it's not going to take much. If if you're not seeing uh, a lot of progress out of the quarterback, it's not going to take much for you to you know, to, to make a change, you know, you're, you're not necessarily thinking about building for later in the season or building for the future. If, you know, if your job is on the line and, and, and I think that's the reality right now for Harson. And so I, I don't know what we'll get out of TJ Finley. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has yeah. a short leash in this one, because uh, Auburn, you know, cannot afford to have things turn the wrong way because there's going to be so much negativity around that program. The first time they go out there and don't look good. I feel like if your AD resigns and you got a lot of people that don't want you there, I think regardless whether a good season or not, you'd pretty much have to go to the playoffs, go to the national championship and probably win. Just probably have to, I mean, honestly, you're right. You're, I mean, when there's that much going against you, it, it's not eight and four is probably not going to save yeah. his job. And, 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 you know, I think, I think that's why this game is so big is because, you don't want to take a loss at home before conference play has even begun um, because you know right. there are people out there just looking for any excuse to get rid of you. Right. We've also got Ole Miss at Georgia Tech. Um, man, I haven't heard about Georgia Tech good at anything in quite some time. I mean, they're not <laughs> awful, but I mean, they just, they're not a household name at all. Um, this is going to be a road game against an ACC team, but you know, this is not going to be a good look if Ole Miss doesn't come out of there and get, get the W. Yeah. Georgia tech, like you said, has been down in recent years. Um, they didn't look very good in the opener against Clemson, uh, got run out of that one. And, and so even though it is, a road game against a power five team, as you mentioned, it's, it's just, it's not going to be a good look for Ole Miss if they lose this one. And, you know, with Tulsa coming up next week, Ole Miss should be undefeated going into an October 1st game at home against Kentucky. That's the way it should be. And and I think for Ole Miss, it really doesn't matter if this is ugly, you just got to win it. But I also think that there's some things that they need to accomplish in this game. In addition to winning it. And one of them is to figure out who their quarterback is. You know, they've played two guys uh, for the first two weeks. And, you know, to me, Jackson Dart just looks like the guy who's who's going to be more capable for Ole Miss as the season goes on. You know, we, we've seen what Lane Kiffin likes to do with that offense. And, you know, we saw um, last year what Matt Corral uh, was able to bring to it. And, and a lot of it was was his ability to run, not not a primary runner, but his ability to make things happen when they needed him to as a runner. And I think Dart has more of that in him. And that's why I think he's going to be the guy. And so I'm kind of looking for Kiffin here to just start him and then stay with him. If he doesn't, I'm going to be a little surprised and, and a little uncertain about exactly where this whole quarterback thing is going for Ole Miss. Yeah, and with that, I mean, you talk about – them trying to figure out their quarterback. Well, that also situates with the running game, right? You see that they're doing pretty well uh, right now with 
Quashawn Judkins. I don't know if I said that name exactly Quinshawn, right. But yeah. I feel I feel like I'm right on that Quashawn. Um, <laughs> that makes a strong tandem with Zach Evans. Yeah, I mean Evans was a guy that everybody knew was going to be good. He transferred in from TCU. Was a very touted recruit coming out of high school, and and he was the one the Ole Miss fans were excited about. Judkins was like a three-star recruit uh, out of the state of Alabama. And you figure, okay, if, if he ends up at Ole Miss, it's because Alabama didn't want him. And if Alabama didn't want him, then, you know, he he could be good. I mean, obviously, you got to be really good to, to, for Alabama to want you. Right. But, man, I mean, through, through two games, this kid looks like the real deal. So I think they've got a legit, you know, one-two punch there at running back. They have run it extremely well. I think it's about 250 yards per game through the first two, but look at the level of competition. Even Georgia Tech should be a step up from what Ole Miss has faced to this point. And so uh, let's let's see if they can continue to run the ball because um, if they can, I think that bodes well uh, for this offense. Lane Kiffin is just so good with matchups and keeping you off balance. And when he's able to run the ball, it just opens up so much else in his playbook. And, and so I think it really is a key uh, for Ole Miss's success this year to be able to, to run the ball effectively and, and they've been able to do that through the first two games. Yeah, well, one thing about Lane is he is a crazy guy, but he makes some things happen, right? We've we've learned that as Tennessee fans. Just just let the man do what he wants to do. He the knows mad scientist. No talent. Yeah, he's- he just didn't maybe do it as well for Tennessee, but, I mean, they're, at least he's found success some other places. I might um, be the first person who ever referred to him as a scientist, by the way. I You know, it was it's kind of a – mad scientist is really more of Mike Leach. But but Kiffin is yeah. – Kiffin, you- Kiffin – Kiffin's different in a different sort of way than Leach is different. Um, but yeah. but no, Kiffin is um he is he's about as good of a play caller as I've seen in college football in the last, you know, 10 years. He's just just so good at setting up things um and, and creating mismatches. And um I, I I'll I'll be really interested to see how good this offense is because uh with, with what Matt Corral did last year, you would have thought that this was going to be a down year, a step back for the Ole Miss offense. Um, but maybe it doesn't have to be. We'll see. Well, going back again with Tennessee, I'm just wondering, well, where was this mass scientist and the mismatches when he was at Tennessee? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, maybe it came after that. You're not bitter, are you? Like, I mean, I'm always going to be bitter, okay? So we'll see how I feel after Akron. Hopefully just Akron goes right uh, for UT this weekend. And if that goes right, then, you know, I'll be happy for one more weekend. Then if Florida goes right, then we can have a whole segment, whole show hey, about Florida. Hey, you know, the Tennessee people – yeah, I mean, you you got enough to worry about now. You got enough to get excited about. Just let the whole Lane Kiffin thing go, folks in Knoxville. It's it's, know, it's water man. under the bridge. It, Don't throw stuff at him. You know, I think it's all, just all that water under the bridge for people that probably weren't like that. Either didn't go to school there or wasn't a fan there. Like, yeah, it's okay for you guys, but for us, it's like, no, nah, we're holding that for well, the entire I, rest I, I get of it on one hand. You know, because Ashley, you look at the like the the post Lane Kiffin spiral of the program. Yeah, and I I don't think it's out of line for a lot of Tennessee fans to think that if he had stayed, if they had had some stability there right after Philip Fulmer, that maybe things wouldn't have gone as off the tracks as they went, and they'd be in a better spot right now. I, I don't know it's if it's necessarily true, um, but it's it's not an unreasonable assumption. So I. I I get why people don't like him, but at the same time, 
Move yeah, forward. I don't like is a nice word. I really think people hate him. <laughs> I, I don't know. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll wait. I guess once we play Ole Miss, we'll see how it works if yeah. anything's thrown at him at that game. All right, Brad, as always, every show we ended with some questions from the fans. Let's start with David. David says, considering the offense, is it possible overall that the 2022 Georgia team is actually better than the 2021 Georgia team? <laughs> Again, I don't know how that's possible yet, considering only one of those teams has won a national champion but they're looking good right now yeah that's the key point is that at the end of the season in order to make any comparison or try to make a claim that the 2022 team is better than 2021 they're going to have to be national champions again it's going to have to be a comparison of two national championship teams to be able to to argue whether one is better than the other but for now, through two weeks, if we want to play this game, um, <laughs> I, I have a, a, another metric uh, that I'll go to, um, wh which is another ESPN metric. It's called efficiency, um, which is combining offense, defense, and special teams. It's, it's only what you do on the field in your games. There are no preseason inputs from what you did last year or recruiting rankings or returning starters, any of that stuff, just, just on the field. And this year's Georgia team through two games, for whatever it's worth, has a higher efficiency rating than last year's Georgia team. Now, that's not shocking because they played a near perfect game against Oregon in week one. It does adjust for the quality of the opponent that you're facing. And, and at this point, while Oregon might not be a top 15 team like they were ranked going to that game, they're still believed to be a good team. So that, that was an exceptional effort. Um, but, but what's interesting is this, which is that last year's Georgia team was actually the the best team in terms of the efficiency rating, the best team that Nick Saban faced in his first 15 seasons at Alabama. So according to efficiency, to that rating, mm -hmm. last year's Georgia team, even though they did lose one game to Alabama, was better overall from start to finish, counting every game of the season, than 2019 LSU or 2008 Florida, which were the, the other two teams that were right there in that ballpark. So when we talk about this particular metric in last year's Georgia team, it was a really, really good football team. And we saw that on the field too. Um, but I think sometimes because they lost a game, people just say, oh, they couldn't have been as good. Um, I guess that's another thing. I mean, last year's team did lose a game. If this year's team were to go undefeated, then that's another reason that you would say that maybe they were better than last year's team. But uh, either way, they're likely to have to go through Alabama to do it. And we're a long way away from that game happening. Right. So it's, it's premature, but so far so good. If you're, if you're trying to say that uh, Georgia looks as good as they did for most of last season. It's kind of funny when you have to sit there and say, well, they only did lose one game last year. And if this team goes <laughs> undefeated, it's like, you would think there's a couple more losses and it's just way more competitive for these type of teams once they get to the national no, championship, I mean, right? Like you want to, you might see a couple losses, but no, it's like they won. If they, if they lost one, it's like, well, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, that, that's what it is. And you know, I, I said, I think on Tuesday that Georgia is now another Alabama. They've reached that point where I think we said right. that we now have two Alabamas in the conference, one in the East and one in the Thank West. Goodness. And uh, yeah, I mean, so so you, you don't just when it hand it over to the tide before the season begins. But but now Kirby Smart is in this position and he was in that position as Alabama defensive coordinator under Saban all those years. He knows what it's like to have those high expectations. But but every season uh, from this point forward for Kirby Smart at Georgia, it's national championship or bust. 
I mean, even yeah. if you win the SEC and you don't win the whole thing, um, I mean, people aren't going to say it was a, an awful season, but but really the, the the only goal that everybody shares is being national champion. And if yeah. you fall short of that, it doesn't mean you're a failure. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it wasn't a great season. Yeah. Which is crazy to say national championship or yeah. bust, right? Like, yeah, but I get it. The the life life top, you know? You've got over the hump. You've, you've become national champions. That's what we expect for you yeah. to do. But it's like, do you want to see another Georgia and Alabama uh, national championship? I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'd like to see, shake it up a little bit, but I mean, hey, that's most likely what we're looking at once again. Uh, Cindy actually has a question for us too. And she said, what would a win over Penn State mean for Auburn? Again, that's one of our non-conference games uh, this weekend that we were just talking about in that last segment. Yeah, so uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember Auburn's schedule. Um, I don't know if you have a chance to look it up while I'm while I'm talking gotcha. about this, but but if you look at Auburn's schedule, I believe their first five games are all at home, and mm -hmm. and they're all what you would consider to be winnable, right? There's not one on there that you're like, oh, they're going to be a huge underdog. Um, and so um, I think they have one other game similar to Penn State coming up where, you know, it's it's a game that they may be I've a small underdog. What, what do they have after Penn State? So after Penn State, they've got Missouri at home, LSU at home. Okay. Then they go on the road and face Georgia, then Mississippi. Um, and then they're back at home against Arkansas, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Western Kentucky. And then they finish the season with Bama. Right. Okay. So, so let's just look at, at the importance of this game then uh, with that in mind, which, which is that if they can win this and mm -hmm. start three and oh, um, I would say that they've, yeah, I mean, they should beat Missouri at home. That's the next game. And then home against LSU. Uh, I mean, un unless LSU comes out and looks a whole lot better uh, mm -hmm. this weekend, then you would still say that's a game. They got a pretty good chance to win at home. And, and so then it's, Okay. I mean, Georgia, sure. They're going to lose to Georgia. They're probably going to lose to Alabama. Um, but, but, and, and I know, look at, at Auburn, it's not about being bowl eligible, right? but, but I don't think I'm alone in coming into the season feeling like this had the potential or still does had the potential to be an absolute disaster of a season for Auburn and that they could be the worst team in the sec West. If they win this game, people are no longer going to be thinking in those terms and it's going to be okay they should get to six, go to a bowl game. And then it's a question of, okay, can they win some of those other games in the back end? Like you would think they would beat Western Kentucky. You've got Texas A&M yeah. uh, coming, coming into Auburn. That's another game that they could win. So yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of games there that, that, you know, set up for Auburn as, um, as possible victories. And, and I think to just be more optimism, if they're able to win this game and yeah. people start thinking, well, maybe eight and four. Yeah, and you knock down Ole Miss, uh, or not Ole Miss, excuse me, you knock down Penn State a little bit. That's ranked 22 in the AP poll right now. So that's always a win, uh, good win for them as yeah, well. Yeah, ranked team. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. A, you know, ranked team is a ranked team, and, and yeah. you really don't care whether it's home, road, whatever. When you're looking for it's positive, a win. It's, a, it's a win, and it's something that you know you can make a big deal out of. Yeah. Uh, finishing up, Cole, he said, which SEC team needs to be most concerned about an FCS or group five, group of five opponent this week? FCS or group of five? Um, well, I, I think the obvious answer to the question, I, I'm not going to leave it at this because it's, it's too easy of an answer, is Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt plays at Northern Illinois. Like, they're on the road in the MAC. 
And after what we saw at Vanderbilt last week, coming back down to earth and looking a little bit more like we kind of expected Vanderbilt to look this season, um, I, I would honestly be a little bit surprised if Vanderbilt wins that game. I mean, I, I, a loss is very much in the equation there um, for, mm -hmm. for Vandy. So I would say they're the, they're the number one team that has to be concerned. But, but if, if I were going to throw another one into the, into the mix, not so much upset alert as as maybe getting a scare alert you know and that would be arkansas um arkansas is in a, a weird situation for a number of reasons so they're playing uh, missouri state now number mm -hmm. one missouri state I, I believe i read this week is ranked seventh in the fcs poll so they're, they're a good fcs team number two they're coached by former arkansas head coach bobby petrino so Look, even though, even though it's not like anybody would say, "Hey, you know, Bobby Petrino was was wrongly run out of Fayetteville." Like, I mean, we we know what happened, but still, you know, this game is personal for Petrino, and he would love well, to bring I, his I team. I wonder in. how that game got on the schedule. Just, I tell yeah, you, well, NCAA that, that, is just so messy. Yeah, and 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 I would I would just think though that Bobby Petrino has been thinking about this game all summer. Uh, as mm -hmm. a great opportunity for for him and and his new program, and then it's also a little bit of a trap in that Arkansas. This is their third straight home game to open the season, but the first two were a lot bigger. You know, you open against Cincinnati, which is a top twenty team that was in the college football playoff last season. Then mm -hmm. you have a conference game against South Carolina, and because it's a conference game, it, it's a big game, and so this one is clearly the the least significant of the three they've played so far. And, and yet it's, it's a decent team and there's every logical reason to have an emotional letdown and not come out and play as hard. And, and another thing that doesn't set up well for Arkansas in this game is just the potential for a very natural emotional letdown after the way they started the season. And by the way, this is the third straight home game. The first two were both much bigger games. You, you had the opener against Cincinnati, which was a, a ranked team that was in the college football playoff last year. Follow that up with a conference game against South Carolina. And this game clearly is not as significant as those two. And, and so it is a spot where it would be very normal for Arkansas to come out flat. And they can't afford to, not just because of the outside chance that they could get upset, but when you look at their upcoming schedule and, and what they have for the next few games to start conference play, they need to get some rest for some starters, and I think especially some rest for quarterback K.J. Jefferson. His role in the offense is such that he's a big part of their running game, and over the first two games, he averaged almost 20 rushing attempts per game. And that's that's a level that you cannot sustain as a quarterback in the SEC, especially once you get into conference play. So they need for him to have a lighter load this week. They need to be able to get starters out, and especially him, for most of the fourth quarter and they need for this to be one of those games where he doesn't have to carry the ball double digit times because if that becomes the norm for their offense i have a hard time seeing him physically survive this season so those are all reasons that that arkansas needs to be very very careful and needs to be worried about missouri state on saturday the drama 
Dun, dun, dun. That's in that one. I I know uh, Missouri State. Those players are going to go hard for their coach. They are. They they, they want they want to see him. They want to see him take him down. But so just going over some of the games that we talked about today. Just Georgia South Carolina is at noon. Then you have uh, Mississippi State LSU at six p.m. and the one I am excited about that I am actually I'm going to stay up and watch this one Texas A&M and Miami those are the ones you know basic uh, the ones we went pretty in-depth about um which one are you most excited about watching this weekend I mean I know again it's 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 not the best slate of games but yeah decent ones out there you know you mentioned the drama and I think that's what you have with A&M you know the fact that their season is kind of on the line here in in week three certainly no one's thinking of them as a playoff team uh, after what happened against App State last week. Um, but mathematically, they're done if, if they lose one more game. And it could happen as soon as week three. And if it does happen and you look at the way the conference schedule begins for them, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's going to be sky is falling in College Station yeah. because uh, they, they might not have been expecting to beat Alabama again mm-hmm. this year, but they mm-hmm. were expecting to be good. And yeah. it's looking like, this could be the opposite of that if they don't beat Miami. Yeah, it might see some coaching shake up, shakes up uh, in, in there. You never uh, know because no, 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 no. You never Jim, know. Jimbo, Jimbo's got a little bit more leverage than Scott Frost had. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but there might be that one person that's like, get this guy out of here. I don't know. It's so early in the season already to be. Counted, he better have right? about a billion dollars if he's if he's wanting to get Jimbo out of there. That's true. Well. Exactly right. So we'll be back uh, next week. We'll be breaking down all these amazing games that we just talked about. Hopefully, all of Brad' predictions will be right. I mean, he's he's amazing. I asked you that one question of who was better than what was I talking about? Um, Stenson ben- Bennett. And look at you. You were already on it. Well, Rogers. Like, there you go. This you you yeah. just know everything. Oh. It's just human encyclopedia. And while you're plugging our show on Tuesday, let me also plug uh, Saturday night after all the games have ended. uh, I'll be breaking them down with with Tyler Bray, your fellow Vol. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll go through all the action, including the A&M game. And uh, you can listen to that uh, all day on Sunday. You know, and now that I think about it, we just need to get all of us together on one of these podcasts so I can say, Tyler, no, no, do you no, remember, no, do you no, not remember no, no. me? Because I went to, we went to school together, and I just want I, to know. Do, w- one ball me? at a time is enough for me. Right? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, we have to do it next week now because, I mean, listen, after we pass Akron, wonderful. We got to talk about that that Florida Bay. I'll tell you what, the, the week the week of the Alabama game, let's get Tyler on and then and then I will um, I'll deal with both of you that week. At the same yeah, time. That, that, I, I'll take that. I'll take okay. that one. I'll take that one. But all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week and make sure you're tuned in to Fourth and Imaginable. I'm Ashley Holder for Brad Edwards as well.